never know where life is going to take you. Some people know exactly where they want to be and go for it full throttle. Others just stumble upon it organically, and then there are those who just follow their intuition. This is a podcast about reaching your personal best through resilience, motivation, and passion. This is Mark My Words. Hello, hello, and welcome to a new episode of Mark My Words. And today I have a real treat for everybody. I have somebody who is so full of wisdom and has had such an interesting life and career. I love just hearing about her history when we talked on our initial call. She says that she can help business owners reach higher levels of business performance, performance growth, and profitability in capital letters, according to her LinkedIn profile. She is a business strategist and profitability coach, she is Coach Marcy Hanhart. Welcome to Mark My Words, Marcy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Mark. I'm delighted to have been invited on the call. Thank you very much. And I'm really happy to have you here. It's really great. As you know, I have a show where I try to get people from all different walks of life. And it's really great to have somebody who has such a interesting background and has worked for so many companies. Like, you know, you worked for R.R. Donnelly. I've never met anybody who worked for R.R. Donnelly before. That's funny. I think they're mostly from Chicago, but because that's where R.R. Donnelly is, of course, headquartered. At the time that I worked for them, they were the largest printer and until very recently, the largest printer in the world. And um, I was very lucky how I got to work for them, not to jump ahead, but I was luckily at the forefront of something that I'm sure we will talk about. It seems like you were on the forefront of a lot of things, which we'll get into. I mean, IBM DiscoVision in 1980, I mean, just having, now is there a reason that Disco was in IBM DiscoVision or was it just, because <laughs> I know it's like 1980, was, was there, were they like, hey, we can be hip and be called Disco Vision? Actually, that's such a funny thing that you would ask, because for the longest time, I thought, do I really want to work for this company that's called Disco Vision? <laughs> Nobody's going to take it seriously, right? <laughs> Everybody's going to think we're just juking it up, which, of course, in the 80s, this was a really big, uh, a big disco time. We still had all the big discos in New York and everything. But actually... The reason it was called that, oh, this, I hate it that this dates me so, but the first optical technology, which would be way before most of your listeners, I'm sure, was on a great big disc that looked like a large record. It was all silver. And so they called it Disco Vision. Wow. That was my second guess. I'm like, okay, it might have something to do because... That kind of technology was huge back then, really cutting edge at the time. So, well, it, it was, it yeah. was. And uh, that was actually how I got into business. I had not been in business before I went to work for them. Well, before I feel like I've already put the cart before the horse on this, but uh, let's go a little bit back because everything that you were doing, entering into college and through college, had nothing to do with where you're at today. So I have to ask, so I don't remember where it was, but our history, French, math, and physics, all at the, now you didn't get a degree in all those things, did you? <laughs> no, the degree is actually, the degree is actually in French and art history. But I had to go to school a little bit of extra time because it was going to be in math and physics. And why math and physics? Well, let's see. Because I'm an only child who had a father who was a mechanical engineer. 
and he did the most fascinating projects. And I was always watching what he did and following his stories. And math just happened to come to me easily in school. So when you're thinking about where you're going to go to college and what you're going to do, I don't think women, we didn't, we didn't think about it as much then as people do now. Sounds um, like I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, but I was good at math. So I said, I'll choose my school for math and I'll make a career out of math and maybe become a computer programmer, which was really cutting edge at the time. Yeah, it kind of sounds like I should have known you in school because I was horrible at math. I really, it was to the point for me when I got to college, I had to take algebra all over again, something that didn't even count towards my credits just to be good enough to take something that counted towards my credits. That's how bad I was at math. But do you not use mathematics? I believe, aren't you really into software development and that type of thing? Oh gosh, no, I never developed anything in my life. I, I mean, I used to install games and stuff and would find workarounds to install them, but that was just stupid luck. I don't think I had anything to do with like mathematical ability. <laughs> no, I, I work in broadcasting, but it's like entertainment broadcasting. So I'm keeping stuff on the air. I'm not necessarily using math. I mean, maybe a little tiny bit if it has to do with time code or a commercial running short or an hour of programming running long or short, but I, I don't use math other than that, so. Well, I apologize for remembering incorrectly, but it's really interesting what you said. You know, I'll just throw this in, in my era, my mother, she had always worked until she was married and she was a statistician along with a few other things. And she used to go to the grocery store with a list, of course, on a little piece of paper. And she would go once a week and buy everything. She would write down what each thing cost on her little pad of paper. And by the time we would get to the front line, she had added pages of numbers in her head so quickly, which is a skill that I think a lot of us don't have anymore because we always have our handy dandy phone or calculator. But in my family, knowing how to deal with numbers was kind of taken for granted, which as it turns out has become a fantastic tool with the, the coaching that I do for businesses today, because it all starts with the numbers. Well, as old school and my, as much of an old soul as I think I am, I am really grateful to be living in this era because I would not have gone well doing that method of counting or you know shopping or doing any of that. So I think I'm in the right era and the right time considering my skill set. So that's amazing. I mean, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. It's completely it different now. But I need my handy dandy calculator now. I do. Well, <laughs> I, I, lose a habit. I used to get harped on quite a bit by my parents because my math was just so bad. They're like, you're not going to go anywhere. If you don't learn math and you can't do math, you're not going to do squat. So I had to, you know, at least get, at least be able to count and multiply and divide, which I can at least do that. So <laughs> I'm sure you do much better than you're saying. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate that. I'm actually not sure, but we could debate that for the next like 50 minutes. How about we talk about your path, which you came into school, you're thinking math and physics. What happened? What happened? Well, I picked a college that had a who which had a fantastic, fantastic math teacher. She was known all over the country, Madame Freitag. I don't know why we called her Madame because she was from um, Germany. But I started in math and then I had an opportunity to study abroad. And so most of the people, I went to France for a year. And most of the people who went were majoring in art or literature or minimally history. I went as math, they had to get special math tutors for me. 
And as I was dealing with my math tutor, who looked like he was young enough to be my son and absolutely brilliant off the charts. I mean, here I am 19 or 20, and he looked like he was about 12, really. Um, I said, what am I doing in one of the art capitals of the world? It wasn't Italy, but it was Paris. Going to school every day to study math, this is insane. I'm surrounded by all these fantastic museums and the family I was living with didn't speak any English. So my French was getting better. And I just said, I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch and do something that I'm truly, truly going to enjoy. So if you can think of anything that takes you farther from business than a foreign language and paintings on a wall, that would have been it. <laughs> yeah, that really fascinated me. It's like there's such a line between something mathematical and then our history. So that's really quite a, a change, a very cool change, but quite a, quite a change. And I have to say, I took one art history class in college. It was one of my favorite classes. I loved it. So it's very interesting because what I learned in art history is, and it didn't come easily to me because I had this mathematical learn how it works thing going on, is that you really just need to look. Look, absorb what you see, and you're going to see patterns. Now, there isn't any way that you can memorize every painting of someone who even had a limited number of paintings like Leonardo da Vinci. He didn't do 200 paintings. But if you look at the mannerism of it, you can tell what era, what country, right? What dates. And that actually, I think that looking at patterns actually applies a great deal to business. Who knew? Yeah. So would you say that between math and art history, there's a connection? Well, I will tell you that my success in business which is just one of those serendipitous things is that was, I would say I would have to base on my interest in history and art history because I needed to launch a product for a company. It happened to be that disco vision. And what was I going to do to differentiate? There were three international companies that had an optical product. One was IBM and they had joined with Pioneer Electronics to produce materials. And I was hired to get them out there first, actually. You know, there was a lot of competition going on. While I lived in New York City, I was constantly visiting museums. I was pretty much involved in the art world as a layperson. And I thought to myself, what can I do that would put us on the map? And I said, I love the Metropolitan Museum. I know a couple of people at the Metropolitan Museum and they have an exhibit that is really obscure. Nobody understands it. Nobody knows what these different pieces were used for. It happened to be the ocean, it's still there, the oceanic exhi exhibit, which was a lot of artifacts, boats and everything sent back by Michael Rockefeller and then he died. So we joined up with the Metropolitan and put on this huge interactive program where people could touch the screen and they could ask questions and it was, it was a major success. We had all the media of the day there, which was mostly print, the New York Times and Time Magazine and so forth. And that's what got us on the map. So my art history helped out in business after all. So is, is it that project that helped you to really push that part of your career forward? Kind of like segueing away from art history? Interesting, interesting question. I think what happened there was, it was almost a side benefit because my job was to figure out, to determine how this technology could be used in the marketplace. There's no point in having a technology, right? If people can't use it. So by getting something so visual out there, and so um, with such a major institution, I then was able to approach banks, approach educational institutions, approach every, I mean, I did every type of interactive application that you can think of for, for industries. 
I was all over the map. I traveled all the time. I worked for automobile companies and banks and paint manufacturers to, and, and educational institutions as a part of that company. And I'm going to guess that this was not something that you had envisioned for your life and career. It's just something that happened. Someone was on your show, the name of the person I can't remember, but talked about my term, but their thought, the serendipity of life, how things just happen. And there's a lot of work that I do today with my clients about manifesting, believing that it's going to happen, thinking that it's going to happen and it will happen. So I had worked in television prior to this. And I loved interviewing people. I loved digging for new ideas. And the way that I was, uh, came in contact with IBM was I was interviewing people at the company, right? When I was offered this job and I didn't want to take it because I didn't want to leave what to me was the most exciting thing in the world in journalism. You know what's happening before anybody else in the world knows you're, you're digging. This was investigative journalism that I did. So I wasn't going to take it. And in fact, a very dear friend of mine said, well, how'd the interview go? And I said, well, I didn't take it. And he said, well, are you out of your mind? Why didn't you take it? And I said, well, because I love what I do in TV. And he was the one who said to me, this is the forefront of something very, very new, brand new. And if you get into this, you'll find yourself launched into things you never thought of. And that turns out to be true. So I've never looked back. Well, occasionally when I see a very famous TV personality, I say, could that have been me? <laughs> <laughs> but I use this learning along with a lot of readings and beliefs that I have to actually put that thought in the minds of my business owners, my clients so that they'll embrace what they really got into business for. You know, they'll embrace what they really wanted to do because that embracing of what is innermost in you, I firmly believe, and I have 20 years of track record around me to show that, is what's gonna bring you to where you ultimately wanna be in your business. And you know, just watching and listening to you talk, I feel and hear and see the passion that you have for this. And I'm always looking for what, what really like made somebody do X, Y, or Z. Where did the passion come from? Some people, they're just like, oh, well, I kind of just went from this to that and didn't really have passion or think about passion, but it just kind of happened. For you, I feel like you have a lot of passions, but really found it with what you're doing now. I could be wrong. I don't want to answer for you, but. No, no, you're definitely not wrong. What's so interesting is I noticed, of course, you took what I had on the LinkedIn page and I talked about making businesses more successful and having more money on the, growing your business and having more money. But the fundamental excitement is business can be really grueling. Right? Most people start a company because they either know how to do something and I can do it better than somebody else or I don't have to punch a time clock, right? Or they have an idea and they wanna start it. And they never think about the responsibility that's gonna come with it, all the various tasks that are going to happen, all the many people they're going to have to hire, all the different systems and processes they're gonna to have to put in. And that, those are all how to. There's a tactical way to accomplish most of those things. But what I want to see is that they are freed. They're freed from that burden of the daily drudge. You know, they get that vacation. They get that time with their families. They know that that money is put aside for their future or their retirement or a great trip they've always wanted to take. That's where the excitement comes from for me. It sounds awfully corny to say, but it's true. It's really about changing lives. It changes lives. And you started this business quite a few years before being an entrepreneur was something that seemed attainable for people because 
prior to this century, it's like, I always thought, oh, people like Bill Gates, you know, that's an entrepreneur. No way can I do that. But a lot of us can do that now. A lot of us can have a business. What has changed since those days and the days we're living in now? Oh, well, I think a lot of things have changed all over the place. We could take the most recent change, which is COVID, and we can go backwards from there if you want. So let's take COVID. In the last year, I have more startup businesses working with me, asking for guidance than ever before. What's interesting about that is that it used to be, at least in my experience, that most people who hadn't yet started a business didn't even see the reason for hiring someone who's been in business and a business coach. We can talk about this later, but remember, I was recruited. I was recruited by a coaching organization. I didn't develop all these concepts on my own. So the first thing I think is that it's accepted that um, we could use some help and help is there. And so that's encouragement for people. If you take my own era, there just weren't that many women doing businesses on their own. If they were, they were really women businesses, not to knock all the women out there today who are hairdressers and makeup artists and seamstresses, but a small percentage of women were going into really, really professions. Uh, lots did where I went to school, but still on a statistical level, it wasn't that many, maybe 20%, if even. Wow. So I think Change of the Times, Women's Lib, all these books about the glass ceiling and so on and so forth. I luckily didn't experience any of that. I was just <laughs> too long ago. So when you first started all of this up, was it not even as like a woman, just as a person who wants to start a business, was it, and being an entrepreneur, was it intimidating? Was it daunting? What was that like for you? Well, the truth is I never thought about it. And the reason I didn't is that I had worked independently some after the job at, at the job at Disco Vision. I have to go back and kind of remember the scenario of things really. But um, IBM and Pioneer Electronics had been a partnership that split up. I went with Pioneer because I was on the creative production side, not on the technical development side. I went with Pioneer, commuted back and forth to California for two years. And um, something happened in the company and they decided not to, not, no longer to stay in the production business, producing these technologies. And the truth is, I didn't like that. I thought, what about all these people that I'm working with? They're just left in the lurch. It literally happened in a flash. I said, well, somebody's got to help them. So I guess it's got to be me. And that is literally how I got into business. That afternoon, I started making calls and I said, this division of my company is being closed, but I am here to help you. So I really never did think about it. It just seemed to me the right thing to do. They were out there and they needed help. So there, it sounded like you had a lot of passion built up for it as time went on, but really it was just something that really didn't come down so much to passion as to maybe responsibility. Well, there was a lot of responsibility, but I don't know if I would have taken that over if I hadn't loved what I was doing. Yeah, fair this enough. Was one of the first times in my life when I'd really been responsible for teaching people. You know, doing a documentary, you're gathering information and you're putting it out there and you can watch my documentary and learn from it, or you can watch my documentary and not learn from it, or you can not watch my documentary, right? <laughs> right? But now I could really play a part in the development, not only of your end product, but of seeing you and your company be highly successful getting there. And I realized I did have a passion for that. It was great. And so, I've been doing that ever since. So there's a lot of different flavors of coaches out there. And you are a business coach. Has there ever been any confusion or 
you're you know struggle to like define what it is that you do or has that do you feel that you've communicated that well enough that that's always been understood I think that it has always been understood that I was going to help businesses improve financially. And it was always stated, and I hoped that I would be successful at making the process of running that business easier. And it's turned out that that's been true. And I will, I'll give that to the training of the company which recruited me. That was Action International, today known as Action Coach. They're all over the world. We're all over the world. What has evolved with me is more of the delving into the psychological characteristics of what holds us back, myself included. I mean, there are plenty of things holding me back. So I've read a lot about that. I was very skeptical skeptical in the beginning when things came out like the secret. Oh, really? You just think about what you want to happen and it's going to happen? Well, sort of, kind of, maybe. <laughs> I've studied neuroscience. And so that is what has changed. Now, my coaching is much more focused around helping my clients acknowledge and embrace what they really want and let's get you there and that's sort of evolved so would you say that what you do is it goes deeper than just point a to point b i'm gonna you have a business you want to be successful i'll show you how to be successful you're treating people like they're people is basically (laughs) go figure imagine that so, you know, honestly, I think that any real, really successful um, coach that touches their clients, and that's certainly many of my colleagues, I have to say, it's about helping people be happier. And we have a, we, as, as a franchise, we have something, a little diagram that I've used for many, many years, several decades, and it's called the Identity Iceberg. Right. And that is that people see us, they judge us, evaluate us, recognize us by what they see. Right. Our decisions, our actions, and that brings our results. But our decisions and our actions can only be based on what nobody sees. Right. Our upbringing, the skills we think we have, our self-opinion, something that our father said 45 years ago about you are so dumb and it's never gone away, or you'll never be able to do that. Now I'm sounding like a therapist, but those things are there. And that needs to be brought out and gotten rid of or managed. Well, absolutely, because if you are ambitious and you wanna do something as lofty as have a successful business, but there are certain roadblocks or memories whatever flung around in your head and you're hearing those voices that may be a thing that's holding you back so it's important to try to get beyond that if you see it and i feel like it takes a very smart and perceptive person to do that so it's really amazing that yes go ahead we try We try. (laughs) Having said all that, there was a very interesting book written about eight years ago and uh, by a man named Mike Michalowicz, and it's called Profit First. And Profit First makes the point that the last thing that business owners usually attain is profit. And that actually would be true for about 83% of small businesses. Not his statistic, the Small Business Bureau statistic in the United States, at least. So Here's the thing. We all know that we're supposed to work hard and we're supposed to take in money. And we all know that in order to do that, we have expenses. So that's what we do. And the result can be that you have a company that can be up here in the millions. Maybe you have a company that's earning $5 million. Maybe 3 million of it is going to your employees. Maybe a million and a half of it 
is going to materials and parts and so forth. And you've got this huge company you've built. And at the end, there's not very much left for you. Does that mean because business owners are stupid? No, <laughs> right? But this is very important. I've been through this myself. I owned with someone else a software development company. It was cutting edge, leading edge early on. Our revenues, today's numbers would be well into the two millions. Good employees, they were well paid, great clients, they were happy. At the end of the day, what was left for the owners was very small. This is learned behavior and it needs to be unlearned, right? So that's another thing that is important for business owners to recognize. And many of my clients today actually come to me when they have read something like Profit First and say, I better learn this because I'm gonna go the way of everybody else, making money for everyone except me, the owner. Right. So. One thing that I want to sneak in here that I'm dying to know, and this came from uh, something that you sent me, just something really small that I caught. You said that work-life balance is something you're not a fan of, and I know we're kind of <laughs> we're, we're kind of going a little bit maybe off track, but I'm curious to learn more about your perception of work-life balance. <laughs> and this is going out to the universe. And here's a business coach saying she doesn't believe in work-life balance. Okay. Well, <laughs> I didn't say one way no, or the other. I said it. I said it because, I, and that's very fair. You bring it up. In fact, I'm glad you did because in my mind, and at least what it used to be is work-life balance means let's take it as an example, I'll take a woman. I could take a man, but I'll take a woman. So, because in my day, women did most of the shopping and making the beds and things like that. That's changed. But so to me, work-life balance meant on a daily basis, you've got a nice balance between work and home life and kids and either spouse or dating or fun, all these things. I have never believed in that. Maybe because I never was able to achieve it. Once I really got out in the real business world, when I was working in the early days with jobs, that was okay. I do believe in a work-life balance on sort of a life basis. You might even say a monthly basis, okay? But on a daily basis, I don't. Now, the only thing that I can say that could give me a little bit of um, credibility in this is there's a fabulous book by, written by a man named Gary Keller, and he is the founder of Keller Williams. And he wrote a book called The One Thing, The One Thing. And in any particular time in your life and in your job, in your career, there's ultimately one thing that is more important to focus on than anything else. And in order to focus on that one thing and do an excellent job at it, other things have to go to the wayside, right? You can't just call and chit chat with your friends. You can't get together in a bar the way you did when you were a kid every weekend night, right? right. You may not necessarily be able to get home at five or six o'clock and play with your children every night before bed. Those of you who hate me, go ahead and put the hate on me. It's okay. <laughs> But over time, I believe you can create a balance in your life. Well, so I was reacting to that sort of be balanced every day sort of thing. I mean, based on your logic, I don't disagree. For example, I want this podcast to grow, but it's not going to grow if I cancel the session and take a nap, which I can I come home and a lot of days I'll take a nap right after I come home, but not going to get anywhere if I take a nap. So uh, here I am. <laughs> and for me, work-life balance, that's when at this point, so through the pandemic, I've been reporting to the office five days a week. I have not been working from home at all. But when my boss gives me a work-from-home day to go to a class or do something like that, that's what I call work-life balance because I don't have to drive 70 miles into D.C. 
at home and you know, I get more time at home. So it's only for like one or two days of the year. But as I listen to you talk, I'm like, that's that's work life balance for me. Okay. <laughs> well, I do want to make sure I'm very clear on this though, because many of many people who come to be coached have been in business for quite a few years. And they always have people always have a reason to reach out to a coach. Okay. And they're often very, very successful businesses. Most of my clients are highly successful at what they do. They just want to be more successful. And one of the things that they will say is, okay, I've been doing all this, all this time, et cetera, et cetera. I want a life. And I'm going to lead them. There are things we can do in the business to have a life, right? Empowering our team, having systems, knowing what we want to accomplish, having everyone share that with us, all of that but it doesn't happen overnight. And it wasn't happening that way in the early days. So when I mentioned to you that right now I have more startup companies than I've typically do, we're not working toward work-life balance, right? We're working toward getting this company revved up as quickly as possible to be profitable. So, yeah, no, that's very fair. And I mean, it's interesting that it's not, people starting from the ground up who come to see is people who already have a framework and a mission, hopefully a mission. And, you know, they, they need something a little bit more than what they've already done. And to your point, it's not that they're not already successful, but they need more. So do do you ever get anybody who's, just starting out that looks for your help? Yes, I do. But they're not starting at, well, there's always an exception to anything, but for the most part, they're not starting from nothing. What they would typically be doing is they're either doing what they do in a company, like one of my clients who does what he does in a hospital. He doesn't want to do it anymore as the part of a major institution, okay, they want to do it on their own. And so they want to get all the tools that they can to make sure that they put the right processes in place. They have the right concept of how to look at what to spend and what to put aside for profit or what to put aside for what I call a rainy day fund because you never know what's going to happen. It's not the truth. Yeah. So it could be that, or it could be people who've done very well in a business and they've just had it with the business. So they're going to do their own thing now. And they want to make sure that they can do their own thing in X amount of time, whether it's a year or two before the money runs out, whatever it is. So we always have a strategic plan and there are always numbers involved in that plan. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you face as a business coach? Challenges I face as a business coach. I think that the challenges are primarily people who feel stuck. And even though they want to work with a coach, they have a difficult time believing, believing that they can be unstuck. And why is that a problem? Because in order to make a change, we have to change. We need to do things differently. And there's always a fear involved in doing anything that's somewhat different because we're out of our comfort zone. Unless we're we're talking about a person who goes for adventure, you know, just running around and they'll do every adventure. Oh, I never did a zip line. I'll do that. You know, I never took a bungee cord and jumped into a river because that's a different thing. They're going for the excitement of it, but with business, it's a little different. Yeah. I don't, I don't have that kind of excitement or adrenaline in my life. I will stick to business. (laughs) Right. uh, I think that's it. Helping them see that they can get where they want to go. Once they get a little taste of that, but that's the hardest part. So again, doing my homework because I try to be a good host as we talked about before we started, 
I mentioned that you are not the first person I've had on this show this year who has studied NLP, neurolinguistics, neuroscience. When did you decide to study this and study mindset and what what like kind of triggered that for you? That is a great question. It's a great question. I thought about that for a long time when I was doing it and I came down with the actual decision point. I had a client who was a wonderful client, was with me for, I suppose we worked together for maybe four years, made phenomenal strides in the business and clearly could have gone farther. And in the beginning, the goals that were stated were much, much bigger. Now, I want to say up front that I don't believe that because a person has a company, they have to make it as big as possible. You just want to have a company that's going to satisfy what you want in your life and is going to work for you from the standpoint of profitability, whatever balance you seek, <laughs> and so forth. Okay. So what this person wanted was fine. And one day he just said, that's it. I'm not going any farther. And I was baffled by it because originally the goals were so lofty. I do think that probably tripling the size of his company and increasing his profitability by 40% was pretty good. But I, then I started to think back about other clients where I could see their potential so greatly and even my own. I mean, I could probably have much, much higher billings and many, many more clients than I do. I could. So what stops people? And I took a neuroscience class for myself to work on my own limitations. And I realized, because I was seeking something that would help my clients, that this is where the breakthroughs need to be. The breakthroughs are not tactical. And I wanted to be able to help those clients who found themselves just stopped. After I had done that class, which I completed, I can't even remember now, let's say three years ago. And I took this class for a year. I mean, this was highly intense class and graduated. I had someone on the phone one day who just basically broke down, just basically broke down with, you know, I just can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. Not the coaching, the business, <laughs> everything. And we just stopped right there. And this was not face-to-face. -face. This was only on a phone line. And I asked, you know, would you be willing to go through a process that could get you through this? And this person said, yes. And I took her through a process where there was physical movement involved. And so I had her clear down the hallway, make sure she wasn't gonna walk into anything. And we actually went through a process to help her move past something she wasn't even aware of. It was so emotional. It was so moving. And it was so instantly at the end of the process, you know, how do you feel just impactful, crying, laughing, everything. Years later, I've seen that person again. I mean, we continued to coach for a while. It's never changed back. And so that was my reason. I found out it was a good one and it works. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful gift to be able to bring people. Wow. That's amazing. And now one thing I want to ask, I've seeing the word hypnosis get thrown into that. But after listening to you tell that story, it's like, well, okay, maybe when if you really want to dig deep into that, but listening to your story, I don't like view it that way. Like oh. I even I even hate throwing that word in there, but I know some people have. 
No, I definitely, I believe that hypnosis can work. I was hypnotized once. It was very funny, but it worked. But um, no, I definitely do not do hypnosis. That's not what neuro-linguistic programming is. And, you know, for anyone, I'm certainly not Miss Tony Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, as many coaches, I'm sure I've walked on the coals and done all that. I'm a big fan. And that is neuroscience, of course, that he uses, right? But you are always aware of what's going on. What I like so much about it, though, this is very key that people don't often talk about. I'll just say you, if I were doing this, you don't have to tell me what it is. And this is why it's so valuable that this person doesn't have to open up and bare their soul and tell me some horrible thing that happened to them in their childhood or whatever. You have to know. And we can lead you through the process without ever finding out what it was and still get you through. But you are in absolute control. Absolute control. There's no anything. But I'm not knocking hypnosis. I'm just saying it's very different. It is hypnotized. I was not in control. I had no idea. I thought 30 seconds had gone by and it had been an hour. Wow. That's crazy. I can't imagine that. I don't. I don't like giving up control of anything, so I can't imagine that. So I I just wanted to put that out there because listening to that story, I said, no, no, people shouldn't use the word hypnosis in connection with this. It's not personally, I mean, you can, people can say whatever they want. I don't know if that's right, but uh, that's just me. So Well, no, they're, they're just... They're just two distinctly different things. Yeah. So one thing that you did talk about, so early on in that uh, little monologue you had there, it started making me think of my goal with this podcast. And I mean, I'm not at this point, like I'm working towards trying to monetize and do all that stuff. But my ultimate goal with what I'm doing, at least make enough that I could like quit my day job and wake up after three thirty in the morning. That'd be great. So for me, <laughs> that's that's like my ultimate goal at this point. I'm not looking. It would be nice to make like you know millions of dollars or whatever, but that's definitely not my goal. So when you were talking about all of that early on in your story it made me think about the kind of goals I've set for myself. And that's not to say I don't want to do higher things, but I don't necessarily put myself up to that. Well, you, what I'm hearing is you want to do what's right for what is appropriate and will work for you to change certain aspects of your lifestyle. Not the least of which being that you're on the road all the time. Oh yeah. I mean, Let's see, 70 miles. It's It depends on traffic. So I can get to work usually in 80 minutes, maybe 90 minutes. I usually get home anywhere between 100 minutes and ugh, a really bad day, two hours. So I want to get that time back. Okay. So if you were my prospect, <laughs> and you can certainly choose to avoid this on your podcast, but I would be asking you, how is it that you see this podcast, which I have found to be incredibly interesting because after we met, I listened to quite a few of them and you've had some very interesting people on the show. How are you looking to take this podcast to help you create this new work life? Well, I, for one thing, I like when COVID is kind of like over, you know, I, I, don't think we're there yet or even not even before i think i could still probably find this i don't know where but i've been trying to find but to cut to the chase and stop rambling i would like to find speaking gigs and talk about like i love hearing about everybody else but i would like to talk about myself because i i myself feel like i do have a story worth hearing, which may be egotistic depending on (laughs) your perspective, but I feel like I have a story that 
can inspire and hopefully motivate. And that's something that I really want to pursue is to get my own story out there in addition to helping people with their own career goals and just spreading the word. Like I, not necessarily like I have some kind of, I don't know, formula or something I want to teach on how to help people to start a business or something like that. Hopefully I'm doing that through the podcast by having great people like you on, but ultimately I want people to listen to this podcast and say, you know what? I never thought about doing this or that. I want to do that. You know, maybe I can do more than just be stuck in this job. I want to work for myself. So I want to do things with the podcast in that regard. And I feel like I'm just kind of rambling on here. But, no, no. So I'm thinking you can, you're allowed to edit this if you want, but I'm thinking come up with a tagline that really, really works for you that says who you are. I've never used one, but I've often thought, and that that is going to start setting who you are. And I've often thought of all the coaches that who are really famous and so many people who have read books and the wealthiest people in the world, I'm really doing a deep, deep dive now into Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And if you look at all those people that he interviewed, who became the wealthiest people in the United States. They came from no background, no money, many first generation, no education and not a dime. They had nothing when they started, okay? So I've often thought, well, geez, you know, that's certainly not my story. I'm a middle-class girl who grew up in a small family whose dad said, and this is the key, whose dad said, work hard, do your best, and you'll be fine. How unexciting is that? Mary. Guess what? I was. So, you know, that, not to take away from what we're talking about with you in any way, but each of us has something that sort of says who we are. And to me, this means you don't have to have suffered to be fine. You don't have to be guilty. Just work hard, do your best with certain direction, certain knowledge. And it took me a while to get there. It took me a while to say, oh, geez, I didn't really suffer. I didn't really, well, I did. I had a lot of personal stories that were suffering, but it wasn't that way. I didn't have to scratch myself up, you know, from the bottom. I didn't have to be first generation because my father was, right? <laughs> I got lucky in there. But that's, that's it. Start to think about who you really are and the story that you want to tell because you do a great job of bringing other people out. I've been told that before and it's funny. I mean, we lived in a time where this kind of format wasn't really as abundant and available as it is today or I probably would have done this like 20 years ago. I've always been told that and I for the longest time, just thought, oh, that's cool. People are comfortable opening up to me. That's cool, whatever. But as I came up with the idea for this podcast and thought about it and gone through, this is my second year doing it, it's been on my mind a lot more. Like, you know, that whole making people feel comfortable thing, maybe this is what I should be doing, you know, mm. something like this. So put a uh, on top of everything else that I want to do, that I think is really important and probably not an easy trait to have. You know, I don't want to speak for other people in the world, but I, I don't, I, I hear that a lot about myself, but I don't always hear that about others. So I guess there's something to it. Regular people doing regular things who get more than regular success. Talk right to on. Mark, listen to his podcast, and these are the tips you'll find. I love it. Wow. Spoken like a true spokesperson. I like <laughs> it. So. I like it for you. So we are uh, getting pretty close to the end of our time. I got to sound too Hollywood, but I know there's somewhere else that you need to be today. So 
let's first of all let's talk about what's next for you. So you're you've been building this business up for so long. You're doing so well. You're doing such cool things. What else is on the horizon? Okay. Well, I have two things on the horizon. One is my career part, work part, and one is my personal part. Okay. So on the career part, um, I hate the fact that I said, um, so you can edit that out if you'd like. No, that's I'm okay. Guilty. I know you won't. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. I uh, have started doing some group coaching for people with um, smaller businesses who can benefit from being coached in a group. So if I have a $10 million manufacturing firm of industrial parts, I'm probably not going to coach them in a group because I have to really dig into every little detail of what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I've launched one. This one happens to be for people who have pet businesses. It has been one of the most fun things I have done. And it's going really, really well. You might see a flip chart in the back. I do most of it on a flip chart with a little bit of PowerPoint, but the flip chart so that it can be more casual. I can answer questions with graphics and so forth. And I'm going to be doing more of those. And the next ones I'm going to be doing are twofold. Any special interest group, I had one call me the other day that would like to do it just for their own type of business. And I'm also going to be doing it for smaller business owners who are starting up companies. So that's the personal side. More group coaching, more affordable for more people to make more progress more quickly. What that will enable me to do is spend a little less time coaching the equal number of people and I'm going to start traveling again. I used to be a great traveler. I've got my shots now. I'll probably be working two to three days a week at the most, not all day, every day. And as soon as those gates open up, I'll be doing some international travel again. But meanwhile, I'm going to the Grand Canyon with Profit First next week. Well, that's pretty exciting, too, because I've never been to Grand Canyon. I've never been west of uh, maybe Minnesota, I think, has been the farthest west I've been. So I got a lot of traveling to do. I, I'm trying to get to all the baseball stadiums. So I've, I've seen 16 out of the 30, 32. So I think it's 30. But yeah, I still have a few more to go. And then obviously, much like you, I'd like to see, I mean, you've already seen the world. We didn't even talk about your year in Paris and some of the other stuff you've done. I think you said you crewed somewhere around the world. Maybe not around the world. Across the Atlantic. Across the Atlantic. I crewed across the Atlantic on a sailboat. Well, that's still pretty good. That's more than I've done. So totally serendipitous, no planning there. Got an opportunity and said, yes. <laughs> wow. No, that's amazing. So yeah, I, I can't wait to get to the point where I feel like I can travel as well. So I certainly hope that you get that opportunity. So that's amazing. Uh, let's see Thank what you. else. So tell us a little bit about how people can get, in touch with you, how they can work with you. Okay, thank you for asking. And by the way, you've got to do those travels. You'll love them and you'll find it enriching in every aspect of your life, including oh, your I, business. Oh, I know. Absolutely. So I have a website, which is supposed to have a sign on it that says in development and it doesn't, but you can at least get some information there. That's just marcyhanhart.com. I have a website with my action coach. That's marcyhanhart at actioncoach.com. But the best way to find me is really on LinkedIn because people can reach out to me there. And if anyone wants to find out more about the group coaching, um, I think that can be, I know that that can be of particular interest, particularly to people in franchises. I've been approached by some franchises. Could you help my franchisees with uh, money management and profit? management and so forth so thank you very much you can find all my info on linkedin and the websites all right well it's been amazing really cool to talk to you and hear your story and 
your viewpoint on so many of these things. I wish we had another hour, but you and I both have things we got to do. So thanks again for spending time with me this afternoon. And I guess that's it for this episode. So thank you. Thank you, Marcy Hanhart, Business Development and Profitability Coach. Thank you. Thank you for being on Mark My Words. And I'm Mark Schmidt, and I will be back soon with a new episode, I promise. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.